Amen. Amen. I'll take that. Thank you, sir. All right. Well, good morning. And it's great to see you all here this morning. And uh, if you're visiting with us this morning and I haven't had a chance to, uh, to meet you, my name is Jason. I have the honor of serving as pastor here at Solid Rock. And uh, all around you are uh, part of our church family. You're surrounded by an incredible church family. Uh, we are a church on mission. God is moving in tremendous ways in our church. We've got a group uh, prepared to head out next weekend for Oklahoma for our national mission trip to come alongside um, a, a church just uh, east of Oklahoma City that is working on setting up a ministry in a low-income area, and we're going up to help remodel and build them a little worship center and a uh, place to do ministry and uh, some backyard Bible club things. I think we're working with a food bank, and so several of you are already uh, signed up and ready to go, so we'll be in prayer for you uh, as you prepare for that this week. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a good day uh, in store so far, so let me just rip the Band-Aid off real quick and let you know. We're going to be talking about finances today. And, uh, and so uh, if you're visiting with us today and you're like, oh, great, another church talking about finances. Um, first of all, um, I get a lot of the misconceptions about finances in church and the, the, that, that, uh, that idea of they're only interested in my money, um, especially if you just watch you know, church on TV. A lot of those ministries talk a lot about money or maybe you've visited a church that talks about it a lot or uses guilt or shame to try to raise money. Um, but here's what I would say. I mean, just... just Let's just lay it out there. If you'll go back through our sermon archive over the last seven and a half years, you're going to find, including today, I think this makes three sermons in seven and a half years specifically on finances. So if you're visiting with us today, please give us another shot. Um, but, uh, but, but we want to say this, like God's word and Jesus specifically talk a lot about money. And there's a deep connection between money and all the rest of our life. And so we are going to talk today about the component of financial giving. And uh, from a biblical perspective, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we'll be. If you don't have a Bible, we want to um, make sure you've got a copy of God's word. Um, there are uh, black hardback Bibles under the seats around you. And as always, if you don't own a copy of God's Word, that's our free gift to you. Uh, feel free to take it home with you. We want you to have, have a copy of that. Now, later on in the service, we're going to hear from a few families from our church sharing some testimonies. Uh, we're also going to be taking communion together. So we're going to move through 2 Corinthians 9 at a pretty good clip today. And, uh, and then we'll get to um, what else the Lord has for us in the service. So uh, first of all, I just want to address a couple of um, uh, financial misconceptions that I've come across uh, either personally or, or with people who I've ministered to over the years. Um, so the first financial uh, misconception is this, God needs my money. Let's just throw that one out there. That's a misconception to think that I give because God needs me to give. Okay? Uh, second misconception is this, if I tithe, God will make me rich. You know what the Bible says? Right? I'm going to tithe and God's going to Right? I don't know when it's going to happen, but any day now, he's going to open up the windows of the storehouse of heaven, and I'm going to be rich. And then along with that is, if I tithe, God will pay off my excessive debt. And I can just keep racking up those cards. God's going to keep taking care of it as long as I just keep tithing that 10%, writing hot checks to the church. God will make a balance at the end. Yeah. Uh, and then here's another one that I've already addressed. Those Christians, they're only interested in money. Now, Again, I, I get the misconceptions with money. We're going to look at God's word and what God's word teaches us about money this morning. Uh, starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's addressing money. And he says, the point is this. And I love it when Paul does that because we don't have to search for the point, right? He tells us, here's the point of what I'm saying. The point is this. Whoever sows 
sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully, bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, that principle applies to a lot of areas in life, right? This applies to parenting. You sow into your children's life to reap. Your marriages, you sow into your marriage, right, to, to reap in your marriage. But specifically in this context, he's talking about financial giving, okay? The principle transcends. Well, let's talk about the principle for just a minute, okay? So sowing is the idea of planting, this is like the farmer sows, not like with needle and thread. This is like the farmer who goes out, prepares the soil, selects the seed, carefully places the seed, gets it all ready for God to cause the increase. And so it's this, this idea of planting something that doesn't give an immediate return. So what Paul is saying here is that in our giving financially, there's a sowing concept. Right? So when we give generously, it's sowing. We're not expecting an immediate return. Like the farmer, right? we're waiting in faith for it to produce fruit. When we sow bountifully, or when he says when we, when we sow sparingly, we'll also reap sparingly. That makes sense, right? I mean, don't go plant 100 apple trees and expect 1,000 of them. Right? Expect proportion to what you sow. But then he also says this, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So God promises, this is in your sermon notes, they're in the seats in front of you if you want to follow along. God promises, I will reap financially according to how I sow financially. And I think that should be S-O-W on the screen. Not sow, but sow like planting seeds. Now, he doesn't give us a perfect equation, does he? Right? So if I give $10, God will give me 100 Or if I give 100 God will give me 1000 That's not in the equation. It's just this idea of sparingly versus bountifully, that there will be in proportion, I will see a harvest in proportion to how I've sown. Now verse 7 begins to give us some instruction and really some, some insight into what giving is all about. Verse 7 says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's right. So before we talk about the heart issue, uh, the word reluctantly in this particular language also translates painful or with grief. So your financial giving should never be painful or with grief. And then the word compulsion is the idea out of necessity. So our motivation to give financially should never be a sense of like this, like it's painful. There's a sense of like crying as I drop my money in the box. Or, you know, I look at the weekly statement from the church and I go, oh, we're down this week. So by necessity, I need to give. That should never be our motive to give. And he says this, we must decide in our hearts. So this is not a, this is not a quantitative issue. This is a heart issue that we're talking about. Jesus addresses this in Mark chapter 12, a very common story about a woman who gave all that she had. And in Mark chapter 12, verse 41, Jesus is, is the he, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Now, it almost looks like Jesus is watching to checking to make sure that they give the right amount, but that's actually not what he's looking at. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. Verse 43, and he called his disciples to him and he said to them. So this is a teaching moment for Jesus, right? 
Evidently, they were close by, and a lot of people were dropping money in the boxes, and, and, and these, you know, rich people were dropping it in such a way where he, you could tell it was large sums, you know, maybe they were just, you know, letting it bang, ching, you know, you're making loud noises. This particular lady drops in two coins that equal a penny, and he calls the disciples to himself for a teaching moment. He sees something that he wants them to see. In verse 43, the second part says, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Now, that should have caught him off guard. Why would you say that? We, we heard hers drop in, right? Pluck, pluck. And then we heard those other guys dropping stuff in, and, right? And they was, boom, landing with a thud. They were given a lot of money. And so he says, she's actually put in more than them. And then verse 44, why? For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had all she had to live on. Now, what we're not reading in this passage is that Jesus wants you to be poor and to be bankrupt, but it's first and foremost a heart issue. Jesus wasn't impressed with the big checks, right? He was impressed with somebody who was willing to give sacrificially, trusting God to provide. And he calls his disciples over for a teaching moment. He said, you see this? This isn't about the amount. This is about the heart. Um, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus addresses this as well. In verse 19, he says, in a teaching format, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, or where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, here's the point. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, we can, we can talk about finances all day long. But it's first and foremost a heart issue, isn't it? Whether I choose to help somebody out or not, whether it's the church or somebody that's in need in my neighborhood or somebody I see in you know, downtown Fort Worth who needs some money, it's first and foremost a heart issue before it ever becomes a percentage or a dollar sign. But then in verse 24 in that same chapter, Mark, Mark, uh, Matthew 6, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for he... For either he will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, he didn't say that you can't serve God and have money. Right? He didn't even say you can't serve God and have a lot of money. I hope you have a lot of money. I, I'm good with that. I hope God blesses you richly. It's not about being poor, but what Jesus is saying, you can't serve both. Why? Because it's a heart issue. Your heart can only belong to one master. Now, that's, that's pretty challenging because I think for most of us, we like to think nobody controls me. I'm, I'm not mastered by anyone, right? And, and God's saying, well, let's look a little closer because where your heart is, right, or where your treasure is, there your heart is also. God calls Christians to give regularly to the work he is doing through the local church from the joy in their hearts. Regularly from the joy that is in their hearts. Each one must decide in his own heart how much he or she is going to give. And we're going to talk about the tithe in just a minute. Now let's move to verse 8 and 9. Verse 8 and 9 is going to lead us to Malachi 3, which is probably the most common passage of scripture used in the church to talk about giving. So we're going to get to Malachi 3 in just a second. But first of all, Paul writes in verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. Again, he's still talking about money, so God is able to make his grace abound to you. 
right? So don't think for a second that God can't do this. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. There's one word in, the, in verse 8 that really all this hinges on, and the word is sufficiency. Sufficiency. The word sufficiency also translates all contentment or having enough. So this idea that if I drop money in the box, God's obligated to make me rich, right, is a, is a misconception. It's not what God promised here, is it? He promised sufficiency, having enough. Malachi 3 Again, this is the last book in your Old Testament, a famous passage for, go, for a go-to passage where God teaches on money through the prophet Malachi. So let's look at Malachi 3 together. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, we'll spend just a second here. Starting in verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and you've not kept them. So they've been disobedient. People of God have been disobedient. He says, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? So God's heartbeat in this passage is what? Returning to him. This is the idea of turning back to God after walking in rebellion. And so they say, well, how are we going to turn to you? And so he continues on in verse 8. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. God offers up, but you say, how have we robbed you? And he answers that question, in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. I want to stop right there for just a minute. We're going to go to Psalm 24 in just a second, Jerry, and then we're going to come back to this. So first of all, that word rob is pretty strong, isn't it? Like if you're, that's the idea of stealing something. Stealing invokes the idea of ownership. Now, this, this is where we get into another misconception. God needs my money. If you believe this passage, then what we read in Psalm 24 is true. My money is not actually my money. The psalmist writes it this way in Psalm 20, 24, verse 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, or everything in it, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. That's the earth the dirt we walk, walk on, and everything on the earth, right? So anything in my life that I come in contact with belongs to God. It's his possession. So that's how God can use the word robbing here because it actually belongs to him. And so he's talking to his people and he's saying, why are you robbing me? Well, how have we robbed you? He goes on to say, you've robbed me, right, in your tithes and your contributions, so let's just take a second here. You know, we talk about tithes and offerings in our services every Sunday almost in the opening, just letting you know where to take those. We use offering boxes at the back. Um, we haven't passed the plates in probably six and a half years. It's not that we're against that or we're doing it the right way or the wrong way. We see the example we read from Jesus in the temple. The offering boxes were there. Um, we also want to move as far away from this idea that we're just trying to manipulate you into money as possible. We want this to be something you do as an act of worship. So we put the boxes at the back. You go as you feel led. You can do it on the way in, the way out, while we're singing. You can do it right now while I'm preaching. We want this to be part of your worship, coming out of the joy of your heart, not something you feel obligated to do, okay? 
And so when we talk about tithes and offerings, we use the word tithe. It, it simply means 10%. And we'll talk for a minute in just a minute about the debate of whether or not the tithe is still in play or not. But tithe is our 10%, right? 10% off the top of how God blesses me, I put into the offering box as a tithe. Offering or contributions is anything above that. So, um, so as God shows me other needs, maybe there's a missionary family in you know, Africa or India or China or, or my neighbor needs some help or God puts something on my heart, right, and, and, and has blessed me, and we'll see that in this passage, in order to do that, that's our offering. So tithes and offerings is why we use that wording here in Malachi's tithes and contributions. So let's look at the rest of the promise here. So tithes and contributions, you're cursed because you're robbing me. Verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. The idea of the house here is God's house, the temple. So bring it into the storehouse, so there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, this is where a lot of false teaching comes from. Open the, the windows of heaven for you. Read it with me carefully. And pour down for you a blessing until there is no more what? Need. Not until I am rich, but until I have enough. What Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 9, sufficiency, enough. So let me just run a kind of example. So like if I'm a faithful tither, yet I'm reckless with my finances and stewardship, right? And I'm just racking up all kinds of debt. And then I, at the end of the day, I start complaining, God, I tithed. Where's my blessings from heaven, right? I don't have enough. It's, we have to understand this is also a stewardship issue. If we believe what the scriptures are teaching, that this belongs to God, then I'm just a manager for him. I'm just stewarding for him. Um, we have got a, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about a financial class that's going to be coming up in April. But if you've been involved in Dave Ramsey's classes, Financial Peace University, I'm going to steal one of his illustrations for just a minute to illustrate this. Uh, he uses an illustration in the class, uh, and, and it's a banker and a client. And so the client deposits $1,000 in the bank and then goes away. And at some point in the future decides he wants to make a withdrawal to go do something. He comes to the banker and says, hey, I'd like to withdraw some money, some of my money, because I've got something I want to use it for. And the banker says, oh, man, I was hoping you wouldn't come back this soon. See, it is your money, but um, you know what happened? I, we had this other thing that came up here at the bank, and we just needed some money for a few things. I didn't think you would mind. So we were planning on putting it back, but we used your money, right, to do this and this and this, but we'll put it back in there, right, in the future. Like, if that happens to you, right, call a lawyer, right, you're finding a new bank, right, that just doesn't work that way. Why? Because the bank is not the owner of the money, the bank is the steward of the money. They've been entrusted to manage it well. Matter of fact, when you sign up for that banking account, they, in fine print, listed out all the obligations, right, all the liability of what they would do for you with your money. And many of us don't read it. We just sign and set up the account. But there's, a, there's a, an agreement there that I'm trusting you to steward and manage my money until I need it for something. But it's my money. I choose how to disperse it. Now, Ramsey takes that illustration and applies it to us and God. You see, we're like the, the steward in that equation. We're like the banker, and God is putting deposits in your life to manage and steward. So when he comes to me and to Hallie and says, hey, Hallie and Jason, I know you had this money earmarked for something, but I've got something I want to do with it. You know that family you met last Sunday and you, you kind of heard that there was a need going on there? I want you to bless them. But wait a second, God. We had something planned with this money. Like we've been saving this money for 
these things. And God says, wait, 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 wait. Is this my money or your money? Right? See, this is why God uses such strong language. Why are you robbing me? It doesn't belong to you. I'm entrusting to you what is mine. So God says, I will put me to the test. If you'll bring the money, steward well what I've entrusted you with, I will take care of you until there's no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you. There's this idea of protection so that it will not destroy the fruit of your soil and the vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, so I know that sometimes when we get blessings from the Lord, it can show up randomly. Somebody gives you something, a check, whatever comes in the mail. But what God's promising here is actually to bless the fruit of your labor in this passage. He's saying, I'm going to protect your field. I'm going to protect where you're working so the devourer doesn't destroy. And I'm going to bless the fruit of your hands so that the outsiders looking in will say, man, you are blessed. So hard work is still part of the equation, right? It's not just I'm going to give money in the box and I'm going to go ahead and slide into retirement and just trust God to take care of my needs. God say, no, no, no. I'm going to, when you get up and go to work, I'm going to bless your work. I'm going to protect right, your investments of time and energy. God promises, this is what God promises, to take care of the needs of all who trust him. God promises to take care of the needs of all who trust him. It's what Paul's getting at in 2 Corinthians 9. It's what Malachi 3 is talking about. Now, is God opposed to you becoming wealthy? That's actually up to him. No. It's not about loving and serving God and having no money. It's about loving God and serving God and not loving and serving money. Verse 10. Are you excited? Man, this is probably one of the most exciting sermons, right? I know you're so giddy about this one. Let's let's keep rolling, all right? Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower. Who's the he? God supplying the seeds to the sower. He's told us to sow bountifully, right? Money. Where Where do our seeds come from? Him. Right? So when I look at my, pull up my bank account on my phone, I'm looking at the, 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 basically I'm looking at the seeds God has given me to invest for him. I'm going to invest some into our mortgage. I'm going to invest some into, you know, this car payment. I'm going to invest some into college fund. I'm going to invest some into buying some groceries because we get hungry at our house. I'm going to invest some into mowing the grass. I'm going to invest some into, and so when you look at, right, that, that's the seed God's provided for you to manage to sow. He who supplies the seed for the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So now we're getting this description of what it means for bountiful things to happen. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be, what's that word? Generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And we'll see more of that in just a minute. So not only is God promising to supply what I need for me, but there's this idea of when I'll sow bountifully, I'll reap bountifully. Why? So that I can be a blessing to others. Right? It's not so I can just store up for me, but when God does bless me in abundance, it's so that what? I can be a blessing to others. We see this play out in the new church in Acts 2. We saw this last week. We looked at the brand new church launching uh, Acts 2.44 says this, And all who believed were together had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who had need. 
playing out in the first church right there in Jerusalem, right? And we were talking about this in our community group last night. There's no indication that Peter told him to do this, these brand new believers. It was just a natural reaction to the generosity of God. They have been loved well. They have been given a lot of grace by God. They just became Christians. And one of the manifestations of having Jesus in their hearts was what? They were making sure nobody else had needs. They were taking care of each other and blessing one another. Let's talk for just a second about um, whether or not the tithe. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. Um, So the New Testament doesn't teach a whole lot on the tithe. It teaches a lot on giving, but not a whole lot on the tithe. Okay, And so when you look at... Um, how often the Old Testament talks about versus the New Testament, one of the conclusions is that the tithe is no longer in effect for the New Testament church since the Apostle Paul doesn't address it. Now, um, let me just say this. You know, as a church, we try to land hard where the Bible lands hard, land softly where the Bible lands softly. This is one of those issues that we land on, but we're not going to divide over it. We're not going right, go, go to uh, go to battle over this one. But ultimately, Jesus addresses the tithe in Matthew 23, 23, when he addresses the Pharisees who had been tithing, but their hearts were in the wrong place. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe. And they, didn't, they were tithing mint and dill and cumin, which we have on our little spice rack and spin it around. These were, these were had our commodities back in this day, a sense of currency. And so they were tithing, and he says this. He says, For this is what you're doing, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. What? Justice and mercy and faithfulness. I've been watching you. Yeah, you're you're putting in your 10%, but your heart is in the wrong place. You ought to have done, these things you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And so in this one specific teaching, Jesus is not saying the tithe is no longer in effect. He's saying the tithe must be accompanied by a right heart motive. In 1 Corinthians 16, 2, the Apostle Paul writes, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collection when I come. And so Paul is saying this, let's don't wait until I show up and then take a big love offering. He's saying this should be a part of your regular worship on a weekly basis. First day of the week, first day of the month, however, there's a regular rhythm to your giving, right? Don't just do it when I show up to impress me. And so in this, you know, like I said, in this debate about whether or not the tithe is still in effect, here's the thing. So if you believe the tithe is still in effect, fantastic, I think the Bible supports that. If you believe that the tithe is not still in effect, then the default is God expects more than your tithe. I'm good with that too, which is the example we get in Acts 2 and Acts 4. And here in 1 Corinthians, we'll see that like, they were given way beyond the tithe. So whichever route you, know, you want to land, right? we're not going to land hard on this and divide over this. But the idea of generous giving and sowing bountifully is a New Testament teaching, undeniably. Right? That as Christ follows, because we've been loved well, we will sow generously into ministry in the lives of others. So here's what God promises in 9 and 10. God promises that when you sow generously, you will reap generously so that you can give beyond your tithe and offering to the work he is doing globally. So, so tithe and offering, right? Giving to the work that God is doing in the local church 
and then God prompts your heart and blesses you with a bonus or some kind of unexpected way with business or however it happens or just puts it on your heart and you choose to quit drinking Starbucks for a month. Whatever the, the method of getting there, God puts it on your heart to bless beyond that the people around you or you want to help send the, somebody to a mission trip in the Philippines or you want to help this, like I said, this, this, you know, some kind of ministry in Africa or these, this orphanage in India. and like There's a global kingdom happening, right? And so God blesses us that we might be generous and sowing in his kingdom work. All right, verses 12 through 15. Let's knock this out. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. Now, that's a strange thing, right? Because if I'm of the mindset it belongs to me, why are they thanking God for my giving? Well, because it doesn't belong to me, right? So when I'm, when I'm sowing bountifully, I'm, I'm giving, right? And I'm actually not really giving my money. I'm sowing God's money as a steward Right? Thanksgiving doesn't come back towards me. Thanksgiving goes where? To God. Why? Because it's his. It doesn't belong to me. Verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution to them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace God of God upon you, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Right? So if I, you know, say, I'll just, so if I find out you're in need and God promised in my heart to help you and, and I write a check to you, say, hey, this God put on our hearts, here, you know, be blessed. First of all, don't, uh, don't go thank my bank. Right? My bank didn't give it to you. That's the idea here. You and I, we're the stewards, the managers, the ones who are holding on to and managing, right, the blessings of God financially. So when God calls me and says, hey, give, and I give, thanks goes where? To him. Because it's all his. Many thanksgiving to God. Now, here's, here's, here's the point of it all. Like, I, I want us to catch this, if nothing else. Your financial giving, first of all, is really not ultimately about you. It's not about making you rich or, you know, all these sorts of things. It's ultimately about God. And what I want you to see from what we just read in these last few verses is that when we sow bountifully, where does the glory go? To him. Your giving generously is really not about you. It's about you reflecting who God is. God is a generous God, and he's created us in his image to look like him on earth. I want you to think about that. When God prompts you to give generously, what he's ultimately saying is, I want you to look like me. This is what I do. I love well. I give generously. Now, let's think about that. Could there be any more generous a gift than God sending his only son to the earth to be tortured and to die on our behalf? I mean, you can't put a numerical value on that, can you? No greater expression of generosity than God saying, I love you, and I'm going to send my son to the earth. He's going to look like you. He's going to smell like you. He's going to know what, it, what, it, what it's like to, to suffer in your skin, to walk your journey. He's, no, he's going to know what it's like to be made fun of, to be spit upon, to be talked about, to be falsely accused. He's going to know what it feels like to be punched in the face, to be left alone, to be abandoned by his friends. 
And he's going to ultimately know what it's like to die a physical death as an expression of what? God's generosity and love. Paul talks about God forgiving us out of the riches of his grace. So it's important for us to understand that. When we give, it's not really about me. It's about me engaging in reflecting the glory of God here on earth. Giving generously reflects God's character and magnifies God's glory. If it's done with a joyful and thankful heart, right? What I want to do now, I want to invite um, three families up to the stage. You guys come on up. And uh, would you give me, with me, would you welcome these families to the stage for being courageous enough to come up and talk about money? Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. So... uh, Got three families coming up. I'm going to let them introduce themselves to you. You may already know all of them or some of them. And uh, I thought it might be important to just hear from the heart of some people who um, believe the scriptures we just read and have been uh, doing this giving financially thing for a while. And uh, and so, yeah. So what we're going to do is I'm going to ask a question and just we'll play past the mic back and forth, okay? So um, I'll start down here. And so first thing is this. If you would just say, introduce yourselves and maybe share how long you've been Um, a member here at the church, um, and then um, how long you guys as a family have been engaged in giving biblically. Sure. Uh, Mike and and Rachel DeVenuto, and we've been coming here for how long? Six or seven years. I think more than that, maybe even eight. I don't know. (laughs) Um, You've been tithing? Uh, 19 years. 19 years, and about 17 years for me. This is before we even met. Okay. Awesome. Um, How long we've been going here? Introduce yourself first. Oh. Uh, Craig and Aaron Moss have uh, been members here since 16, so 17 years almost. Um, I've been tithing since then and since we've been married. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, the, I'm the Craig in this equation. Um, and I've been tithing, well, I guess, habitually. Uh, and, and the way I'm supposed to, probably 15, 16 years since I started attending, attending Solid Rock. Okay. My name is Amy Cato, and I started tithing when I got my very first paycheck because my parents told me it was important. But then when I got in college, it became less important. And then as we um, grew with our business, then we got back on track and we started tithing. And I think we've been going to Solid Rock, I don't know, maybe a year and a half? Maybe yeah. two years. And, j- sure. and just became members. Right? Yeah. Brand new. All right. <laughs> awesome. Well, go ahead and hold the mic, and then we'll pass it back this way. So um, we just read from 2 Corinthians 9 um, that God promises that when we sow bountifully, he will um, we'll reap bountifully, and that he'll take care of all of our needs. We read that from Malachi 3, this promise from God. Uh, Test me in this. Um, bring your full tithe. And, and so God promises to supply all that we need. And so I would love to hear from, from each of you guys an example, if you don't mind, of how God has provided for you. Um, and taking care of your family um, through, you know, obviously through faithful giving, but how God has made good on his promise here uh, to take care of your needs. If you guys wouldn't mind starting, just share a, a brief story. Well, my, my tithing story has been a little, a little more up and down than everybody else's. Um, I, uh, I started out tithing when I was, when I was younger, and, uh, and then I kind of got a place where I was working for myself, and business started going up pretty good, and, but I was, the paychecks were further apart. And so... Paychecks were kind of big, but I didn't know when I was going to get one again. And so I was like, well, you know, I don't really want to give this much. And I did have this expense that come out and that expense that come out. And so I finally just dwindled off to where I wasn't tithing anymore. 
And uh, so then, you know, Amy come along and she says, she says, well, you know, uh, you know, it's important. And I said, well, if at this time, I guess probably because I wasn't tithing, the business started going back down and I didn't have enough to really make ends meet. She says, well, you don't have enough now. And if you give 10%, you still won't have enough. So might as well give God what's his. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I struggled with it a lot. And, uh, and I said, I said, well, you know, what, what is money to me? And I look, it's, it's happiness. It's, it's, uh, making sure that I'm, I can take care of myself. Um, and I, and I really just kind of got to looking at it and I, you know, it's, it's being able to be happy. It's being able to be loved and love others. And wait a minute, you know, I kind of got to it. Wait, this is the fruits of the spirit, not the fruits of money. Hmm. And so, uh, after a little bit more struggling, I said, well, I don't have enough money to make ends meet, so I'm just going to go ahead and pay my tithe, and instead of trusting myself, I'm going to trust in God to make sure that that he can make ends meet. Um, And so from doing that, he has made sure that ends met from then. Um, And and like you said, it's not that I just, you know, here's none of money. Um, But uh, he made sure that I always had what I needed. And then as time has gone on, he's put it on our hearts that, you know, we can, we can be a blessing to others. And, uh, and it, it feels really good to know that we can, we can bless somebody else. And then a lot of times, you know, he'll put it on our hearts. You should, you should do something for this person. And I, I kind of look at him and I say, well, you know, do they deserve that? And then I, it hits me real quick. Do I deserve what I have? Well, yeah, I guess I probably shouldn't use that standard, you know, so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we don't want to be measured by that standard. No, no. <laughs> But uh, in, in all of our lives, we've, we've definitely found that if we, if we trust in God instead of trusting ourselves, which, you know, that's basically what that is, is just saying, God, I trust you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my finances. It's just another part of your life that you can, you can give over to God um, that he makes good on his word. Thank you. Craig. Yeah, um, I was going to say that... Um, when I look at money, I don't see that there's value in money. I know we have to have it to live and pay our bills and everything, but I see everything in my life that it belongs to God, my business, my health, my home, my dogs, my cars, my trucks, everything. And I think um, it's not mine, so I don't have to worry like, oh, I, I can't afford to give this or I can't afford to give that because I just look forward every week to giving God what's his and being able to physically show him that I care about what he tells us to do. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait to write my tithe check because it's not mine. And I'm like, here's a gift. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for everything you've done for me. And it's just, it's really important to me. And it like fulfills me and brings me joy. It's not a burden. And I, I hear people say all the time, you know, that, oh, I can't afford to tithe. And I'm like, well, you know, it, if you just do it, it will fill your heart with joy because it says God's telling you this is what I need. And it's only a small, tiny fraction, 10%. And then when you give that 10%, you're like, oh, I, it just makes you feel good. So you want to give above and beyond and do for others and help and see where else you can give because it feels so good in your heart to be able to do what God wants you to do. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Craig and Aaron, same question to you guys. If you could give just a brief uh, testimony of how God's provided for you guys. Speaking, speaking I guess, for, for myself, Everything they said, and, <laughs> um, you know, if I'll, I've been tithing, uh, like you were saying, uh, since my first check. It was something that my parents did. The word tithe was nothing new uh, to me. 
I grew up hearing that word and I knew what it was. And my, my parents always made sure since that first check that I knew that I am to give 10% plus uh, to the church, to God. And my story is more one of uh, trust and faithfulness because at 47, I had gone through seasons in, in my past where there I had a job, I was laid off, I had a job, I was laid off, but through it all, and this is, this is from the time Aaron and I got married, but through it all, one of the things that we always did was tithe and offering, always. And even through the, the valleys, God always provided, even at that point where we would have conversations about, don't, don't know how we're going to get here, Aaron would be the one to say, you know, hey, let, let go, let God. He's going to take care of everything. Me, I was faithful, as she was, and it all came down to, to trust and obedience because I was, I was always taught that if you are obedient and you, you, you try to be as obedient as you can to, to God and, and Christ and the gospel, um, he will be faithful. And it was as simple as that. If I do what I am supposed to do, what, I, what I'm called to do, God will always do what he says he was going to do. So if there was any shortcoming, it would be with me, not with God. So I always knew that if I was obedient, he would take care of us. So mine is, is a story of, of trust and just knowing that I'm supposed to do my part and I can let go of the rest. Like you were saying, you get to a point where you know when, when you are, are tithing, there's a peace that comes along with that joy because you know it's not yours and you know you're being obedient and you can really just let go. I'm, I'm doing what I'm called to do. God, do your will. And, and you, you grow from that. And here we stand today. And not, not rich, by the way. <laughs> not, we're not millionaires, you know. But what we are is obedient, and he's blessed us in, in so many ways. With, with our girls, with a job that I love and answered prayer. And I haven't thought about a correlation between our tithing and, and God blessing us uh, with things. But there is a correlation between our tithing and God blessing us with peace, with, with a financial peace. So, and that's, that's where we are today. Amen. So. I'm just hearing a lot of similarities to Jason. You used the word enough. Like he's mm -hmm. going to give us enough. And uh, we had a, some stories that we thought about beforehand. Maybe you want to start that tunnel. We could seriously talk for an hour on all the way God has carried us, especially over the last six years or so. But um, we're going to give you a couple of quick examples. And if anything tugs at your heartstrings, we would love to get with you after church sometime. And, um, and go ahead and um, have coffee or um, lunch with you to discuss it further. But we um, had a property. We, we moved here from Arizona. We were transferred and um, had a home still out there. The market crashed where our home values went down by about 75%. And we thought, well, we'll go ahead and rent it and we'll ride it out. So we moved here and everything was going along. Um, but we had some tenants who couldn't pay the bills. 
and it was just really time to let it go. And we were going to lose quite a bit of money, a couple tens of thousands of dollars on it. And we, we had peace, though. We're like, it's just time. God will provide. And um, then I get ready to fly out the night before to uh, list it on the market, and the tenant calls and goes, somebody broke in, and the house has been vandalized. My peace wavered a little bit then. Um, I'm like, but you know what? I, I cried. I did. But I said, you know, I don't even know what the damage is like. It, it's good. It, God's got this. And I flew out there and walked in and could not believe the damage and had the contractor out, and it was an estimate of about $22,000. And I'm like, wow, Lord, like, what do we do? But um, he, he just provided. And when I did all the calculations after paying the realtors, the loss and everything, he provided for us down to the pennies, guys, down to the pennies. And we were so blessed and so in awe of God's goodness that our Christmas card that year was actually titled Blessed by Vandalism. <laughs> like, we, he just so provided. And we have a couple more quick stories. But. Yeah, and, and I thought she was figurative when she said to the pennies. It was within like five cents. So just sort of amazing. So yeah. a, a couple of quick ones. One is uh, um, not long ago, I got laid off from a company. And uh, actually, I'll tell a story actually before then, ahead of myself. Um, I was at work. I had injured my knee. Okay, a few days later, boss said, you know what, you should go to plant medical and get that checked out, all right? So they wrote it up as workman's cop. I didn't think much of it. I wasn't planning on any of that. Well, shortly after that, I got a layoff notice, all right? I didn't tell anybody at work about that. I was working for another three months. And uh, so after I'm off work now for four months and workman's cop was getting ready to run out, well, the Friday that it ended, the next Monday is when I started my new job. So just the word enough, right. the word enough that you used. You had, um, and then um, we had another situation, so we get back on our feet after uh, the layoff. But through all this, it's challenging you because you do know, you know, you wonder where, in, you know, where our needs can be met, and they are. And we tie through all of this, and if anything, we just wanted to um, do away with our wants and keep giving back to um, to God and to the church. But so then we took a really um, fun day to see Sesame Street Live with our kids. And on the way back, um, ended up getting into a car accident. Um, two other cars collided and hit us. And we racked up a, um, a lot of medical bills, another tens of thousands. And you just wonder, wow, another hit. But um, God provided. And over the course of 13 months clearing that up, um, just still faithful, knowing he would provide. And he did. Just sort of amazing. Um, one last one. So that layoff that I talked about, I did not have the best heart in that. I was very angry and bitter about it. Well, this last year, a new company, I got a layoff notice again. This time, it was just, you know, again, not patting myself on the shoulder or anything, but hey, God's going to take care of this. People that worked didn't want to talk to me. They treated me like I was dead, like, oh, you don't want to talk to me. Um, a week later, after I got that notice, again, the whole, the whole week, I'm like, don't worry. God's got this covered. Not a problem. And uh, a week and one hour later, pulled me in the same office and said, hey, Mike, we retracted that notice. They've never done that before. They had to go up to senior VP level. Just things, just on how God's got this covered. Mm -hmm. so. Well, you guys, man, great job. You you really addressed my last question, which was was this. You know, what do you say to the person who didn't grow up in the home where parents modeled this, or you know, have been tithing since your first paycheck? You know, on one hand, ten percent is a big chunk of change, right? When you look at it that way, that way. But when you understand that, well, God gave the hundred percent. So when you look at it that way, ten percent is not that much. But yet. It's a big transition to start living off 90% and trusting God. And so I wonder if like one of you or two of you might just have some advice for somebody who's wrestling with that, like I'm taking that step to trust God. Does anybody have any advice you'd offer? I guess since I'm holding the mic. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Anytime you step out in faith, there's, there's fear. There's, there's fear for us to stand on this stage here. You know, we had to step out in faith and say God's going to use us somehow. Um, there's, you know, stepping out in, in, uh, in, uh, to evangelize, to share the gospel with someone, there's some fear. And in the same way, there's some fear of, God, are you going to provide through this? And, and he does that. You want, had one. Um, kind of like what Amy was saying earlier, um, God really changed how I viewed money. Um, when I really started deciding to tithe regularly, um, we lived in Arizona, and to be truly transparent, I wasn't. I didn't start out tithing in the ten percent because I did have that fear. I had a, a mortgage. I had a little bit of student um, debt, and I was single, and it, it all kind of fell on my shoulders. But I wanted to, to get up to that point, and um, I just put it out there, and I prayed about it, and I kept giving a certain amount, and then I kept increasing it. But where my heart about money really changed, and what I would encourage you guys to do, I heard a long time ago somebody say, if you want to see what you really love, and Jason said, we can only love God. We can't love God and money and all these other things. Check your checkbook and check your calendar. And I do that on a regular basis for our family, and it's so true. And where my heart really changed is when I started volunteering and serving. Um, in down in downtown Phoenix um, at the mission, we did a backpack outreach for kids that really did not have anything. And these were backpacks that maybe cost $20 with the necessities, the paper, the pencils, nothing luxurious. And then I started volunteering in other ways where um, I started saying, okay, here's $20 I'm going to spend on this meal. But instead I started seeing the backpack in my mind. And I, I'm like, do I really need that? Or would I, my heart started to change. And um, we had an outreach program for foster children, and the whole reason for the camp was to share love's God for them, let them know how valued they are. And this girl, we let them dress up in prom dresses that we provided, and people donated their time to do hair and makeup. And this girl was coming down the red carpet one day, and she was just in tears. All the other guy, girls were so excited, and she was in tears. And we said, honey, what's wrong? And she said, I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worthy of this. Why are you doing this for me? And we just got to love on her and pour on her. And at that point, I'm like, man, next time I went to buy a dress, I might put it back. Like, this is where I want my money to go. And um, it's just been such a blessing to, um, to have my mind change, for him to change my heart in that way and look at it differently. Amen, amen. Yeah, absolutely. My parents always taught me when I was growing up, they said that um, God can do so much more with 90% than you could ever do with 100 So. Whatever you think you can't do, if you take out a little bitty bit and give it to God, he can do so much more than you think. Amen. Amen. You good? You want anything to that? Or, I mean, what, what could we add, right? With, <laughs> with everything that I've been through, I would just encourage you to, to not trust in yourself. Because if you trust in yourself, I mean, the ultimate goal in life is to be happy. And you can, no matter what you have, I mean, I've, I've been in a place in my life previously where I had quite a bit. And like she was talking about, it was in real estate. Um, it was gone. And I think, oh, I'm secure. You know, I've got, I've got something here. In the blink of an eye, it's gone. But God's not. He's still there. And you can find happiness in God, but you can only find temporary happiness in money or anything in this world. But if you, if you just completely let go and say, God, I'm going to give my life to you and I'm going to trust in you, including my finances, and not leave that one out, then uh, you, can, you can find that he'll... He'll provide and he'll make you happy. Would you join me in thanking these families for having the courage to come up and talk? Yeah. Thank you guys so much. And uh, we'll let y'all go back to your seats. Um, you know, I, I think it should be stated. I, I don't, at the church, I don't know who gives what, unless you tell me. 
other than Hallie and I. I know what we give. But um, the only reason I know um, that these three families give is not because I went and looked at our records. It's just because it's come out of the overflow of their hearts in different conversations. And so, again, this is, first of all, a heart issue, um, not an amount issue. I don't know how much they give. I really don't. And I don't want to know. Um, and, and that's the point, right? This is between you and God and the joy of your worship and trusting him. So, um, for those of you who heard me mention Financial Peace University earlier and you're wondering about it, I want to let you know that in April we are starting a class on Sunday mornings. And I think it's up here at Financial Peace University. It's Dave Ramsey. Starting on April the 3rd, uh, it'll be in the, uh, the 10 a.m. service. And so I believe this is the Sunday following Easter, that next Sunday. And, uh, and so I wanted you to let you know if you want to register for the class, you can go to our website and you can click on ministry. Yeah, on our website, if you click on ministries and go to classes, it's right there, and that would be the way to sign up for it. And so um, it, is, it is an investment of time and money for the class, but um, I just got through taking it, and I'd say this, it is well worth it um, for sure. Um, but, but please let us know if, if you want to get involved in this. Um, sign up for the class, and, uh, and we'll, we'll get you all the information you need. So um, I want to do this. I want to give us some time to, to pray. We're going to take communion together. Um, I want to ask Jason Martin to come back up on stage, um, if you don't mind, Jason. And let's just take some time. I think it's always good when we've opened God's Word um, to spend a moment just reflecting on the things he's spoken to you throughout the service, maybe in a song we sang earlier or a scripture we read or through one of the testimonies. Um, maybe take some time right now to reflect on that and think about, okay, what action step is God calling me to this week based on what he's prompted me with this morning? So just take a moment uh, to pray, and, uh, and then I'll lead us in just a moment.